You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. My parents visited last weekend. They were in town just for a couple of days, visiting from Virginia. And whenever they visit, there are things that I'm reminded of that I'd forgotten about Virginia. And the thing that I was reminded of was that in Virginia, there are vehicle inspections annually. And the reason I was reminded of that is on Saturday morning, we took my parents to breakfast and we're driving back from breakfast on Green River Road and there's this truck in front of us. And I'm not kidding, the truck had been like an accident, somebody rear-ended this truck and the tailgate was like hanging by a thread. Looked like it was about to just fall off into the road in front of us. So I quickly got into another lane, that way we wouldn't be running over a tailgate. And my dad said to me, he said, man, I just can't believe you guys don't have vehicle inspections in Indiana. Because in Virginia, every year you have to take your car to a mechanic and he checks to make sure that there is nothing hazardous, unsafe, or dangerous. Now, it may be that that guy, that accident happened this week, but there are vehicles on the road in Indiana that they have been unsafe for years and they continue to drive, right? Indiana doesn't have annual vehicle inspections and it shows, right? You can see that there are some cars that that probably should not be on the road. I'm going to change lanes to get away from that vehicle. In life, there are no inspections either. In life, maybe you have an annual physical and a doctor checks your blood and checks your cholesterol, but there's no annual screening for your emotional health. And it may be that if we had that, if we on a regular basis checked up on how we're doing, how we're really doing, we would prevent ending up in burnout, or at least a lot of it. Because the truth is, if I were to ask you this morning, how are you doing? Probably, and I asked many of you this as you walked in, you'd say, oh good, fine. And that's not really the truth, is it? You're struggling this morning. You're facing a difficulty. You're in the middle of heartbreak, or you're just frustrated. And as that feeling, as that experience grows and gets worse and worse, you get closer and closer to burnout. And burnout is when you say, I'm just done. I don't care anymore. I'm walking away from this. I'm walking away from this job. I'm walking away from this relationship. I'm walking away from this person. I'm just, I'm over it. And sometimes that happens because there's been this slow buildup over the years. But it also can happen because of a tragic mishap. In 2016, uh, my son Lincoln and I were in Nashville. I was attending a meeting for our denomination. We were planning the annual convention that was coming up in the following July. We'd had a good meeting, and my son had stayed with my sister who lives there and was playing with her daughters, his cousins, had a great week. And so after the meeting, I picked him up, and we were headed home, and he was tired from playing with his cousins all week, and so he immediately fell asleep in the car. Backseat, we're driving. I'm getting off of I-24 getting on the Penny Row Parkway to head towards Evansville. If you've made your trip from Nashville, you're familiar with this interchange. As I'm getting off, the car starts to act a little funny. And so the engine seems like it's sounding weird. And so I'm taking the exit and I'm looking for the immediate next exit. So I get off the interstate, figure out what's going on. And as I take that next exit and I get onto this road, I have no power. The car just has no power. I'm pushing the gas, nothing's happening. And so thankfully there's a driveway right there and I was able to pull right into that driveway and figure out what's going on with the car. Well, when I stopped the car, my son woke up 
And he's thinking, oh, we're home. And he's excited to see mom, like, we're home. And I had to explain to him the car was broken down, and he was so disappointed. I have a picture from this moment when we realized we were going to have the car towed. (laughs) And that's exactly how I felt. I didn't look quite like that, but that's how I felt about the whole situation. I didn't know it in that moment, but when we got the car towed to a mechanic and he took a look at it, what had happened on the interstate as I was taking that exit is the timing chain in my car had broken. And that had done irrevocable damage to my engine. We ended up, it wasn't a fix, it could be fixed then. I had to rent a car and drive home, and it's a whole other story, and I'm getting in late. And that car stayed there in Madisonville, and the engine had to be completely replaced because it had blown up. When that timing chain snapped, everything went kaput in the engine. It blew up. You know, in our lives, we can slowly build up to burnout, or there can be something that snaps and we find ourselves in a situation like that one. Burnout can come slow or fast, but in either case, we end up broken down once it hits. And if you have had this ongoing angst or frustration or difficulty or emptiness or cynicism or loneliness, it continues to build until you come to the place of burnout. Or maybe things are going fine and you're driving down the highway of life and something snaps. And either way, you're just broken broken down and you're done. When I read Carrie Newhoff's book, Didn't See It Coming, the the topic that, the obstacle that we've talked about that really struck home, that I really had to work through some things personally was cynicism. But this topic of burnout was the one that scared me the most. Reading his, his account of when he experienced burnout, I realized that, that I hadn't burnt out, but there had been some times in my life that I was dancing right on the edge of the cliff. Because that's how he ex- described the experience. He said it was like falling off of a cliff, no longer having control or being able to grab on to anything. And I recognized in myself a few factors that were similar to his story. Now, he's a pastor. He's pastoring a church. Very similar uh, mission and mindset to me. He's trying to reach his community. That's my heartbeat. But it doesn't really matter if it's a ministry context or a work context. The problem that we run into, the reason that we find ourselves in danger of burnout, is because our ambition is greater than our capacity. And for me, that looks like I want to reach our community. I want more and more people to come to be a part of the mission of our church. I want more and more people to experience the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I want more and more people to have their chains broken, as Derek led us to sing about. I want more and more people to see and experience what a great friend that we have in Jesus. And there are times that that ambition, that passion, goes beyond my capacity and I overextend myself. This is the reason that we overextend ourselves, the reason we do more than we should, schedule more things than we have time to do, say yes to more things than we can actually do, spend more money than we actually have. And some of you, this is you at work. You say yes to things that you're trying to be helpful and, and help others, but you say yes to too much. Or you say yes to too many people and you find yourself volunteering for 17 different kids' ball teams and your kids aren't even on 15 of them. You've overextended yourself. You can't do it. And we often here at our church speak of keeping an eye on your RPMs. We encourage people to watch their RPMs. And if you've gone through our growth track, you've seen this. If you 
have been a part of our volunteer group, you've heard us talk about this. We want everyone to keep an eye on their RPMs because we don't want anybody to blow up. Your tachometer on your car tells you how many revolutions per minute your car is doing, and if you go too hard, it gets into the red, and if you go in the red too long, it'll break down. It'll blow up like my car did. And RPM stands for relational health, personal health, missional health, and spiritual health. Relational health means how are your relationships with other people? How are you doing with getting along with your kids right now? How are you doing getting along with your spouse right now? How are you doing with getting along with your team or your coworker? How are your relationships right now? If your relationships are out of whack, there's a problem. How are you doing personally? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you well? Are your finances in order? Do you have enough time to rest and reflect? And the missional health is our passion for the mission. And our mission here at Faith Church is to build the church. Our friends and neighbors will join and our children will lead. And for those of you that are part of our core group of volunteers, if you hear me say that and you're like, all right, Pastor Daniel, say in the mission again, I can tune out for the next 10 seconds because I've heard him say that a hundred times. But there's nothing in you that says, yes, that is our mission. That is why we're here, to reach our friends and neighbors, to pass this church on to the next generation. There's a lack of why and purpose in what we're doing. That's a sign that things are out of whack. And the last S there is spiritual health. And it's not last because it's least important. It's last because it's the foundation of everything else. If you're spiritually unhealthy, you'll never find relational or personal or missional health. What happens is these things are out of whack and they stay out of whack long enough. We burn out, we break down, and we lose control. I was pulling off the interstate, I was so thankful that I was there by the exit. I could get off of the road. I shudder to think if I had had my four-year-old, three-year-old at that time son on the side of the highway trying to find my way. I think I was able to get off the road. When my car lost power, I lost control. I couldn't go anywhere. I had to just stop. Thankfully, there was a place I could pull in. Newhoff said that when he went through burnout, he could not control his emotions. When people would give him bad news, it didn't really affect him. When people would give him good news, he couldn't really get excited about it. But then he would snap over the smallest thing, like somebody loading the dishwasher wrong. He couldn't get enough rest. No matter how much he slept, he woke up tired. He didn't have any energy or passion in what he was doing. He was just done with everything. And some of you have been there. You've been in a place where you feel this feeling been in a place where you don't have control. You can identify with feeling like you've fallen off of a cliff and you've completely lost control. Some of you feel like, yeah, I was there once. I chalked it up to exhaustion. I just need some rest. Or maybe some of you feel like that's where you're headed. Let me say, before I carry on, if you feel like that's where you're at right now, like you are currently burnt out or you're broke down, would love to talk to you after the service and pray with you. The thing that you probably need more than anything is to speak to your doctor and a counselor. Because I can pray with you and we can cover some some surface level stuff in this message. I could talk about this at great length, but we can't go as deep as we need to in this sermon. But a counselor can help you take that deeper step. Now, some people are like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to talk to a counselor. I mean, that sounds like, that's, that's a little much. You know, if you found out you had cancer, you would not say, hey, I'm going to get a plastic surgeon. Get somebody to deal with the surface. You'd want somebody to go deep. And sometimes the thing that we need to do is we need to go deep. And it might be that you need to speak to a counselor or a therapist. 
By the way, I'm not talking about Facebook. That's where people get most of their counseling these days. Have you noticed that? Everybody just puts their feelings out there and then they get feedback and it's not a healthy solution, okay? Facebook might be a good place to get, rec- get good recommendations on a restaurant, but it's not the place to get good recommendations on your mental health, all right? Speak to somebody, talk to somebody. But for the rest, everybody else here, the rest, that maybe you're not right in the middle of this, but you want to make sure that you don't get there, I hope that this message can be helpful to you and you can see what the Lord wants to do to help you. But whatever your experience and wherever you're at, whether you feel like you've been there or you're headed there or you're right in the middle of it, everybody here needs to realize that when we overreach, we're in danger of going so far we never come back. When we get too close to the edge of the cliff and we go too far, we're in danger of never coming back. You may say, well, Pastor Dan, that's, that's a kind of an exaggeration. I mean, it's a little much. No, it's not. Because I've seen people get to the place where the pain is so difficult, it's so great, everything is so hurtful that they walk in and they just say, I'm done with this marriage, or I'm done with this job, I'm done with this career, I'm not going any further. Some people, they experience so much heartache, they experience so much pain in the midst of it that they decide that the only thing that's better than going through this is to just not go through it, and they're going to end it. For some, that's ending their job, their relationship. For others, it's ending their life. You say, well, that's crazy. I'd never do anything like that. I would never do anything that drastic. It doesn't make any sense. The thing about burnout is when you are in pain, when you're suffering, when you're struggling, you, you don't make sense. You can't think straight. Now, I don't know where you went to school. But I'm going to bet that most of you, wherever you went to school, you could tell me what the answer to 2 plus 2 is. Because that's simple enough, right? But I bet that if you dropped a brick on your toe, and then I asked you, what's 3 plus 3, that you would not be able to answer that. Because you have the pain that you're experiencing. Thank you for your help, girls. (laughs) Appreciate that. But when you're in pain, when you're suffering, you can't think straight. And Newhoff talked about in his book that when he was in the midst of this, he thought some things that were really crazy. He went to a counselor and he started talking to him and he told him about what he's experiencing. He said, listen, this is the age where people start making really drastic or tragic decisions because of the pain they're experiencing. This is where they walk away from their marriage or they walk away from their career or they go buy a sports car that they can't afford. They do things that don't make sense in that moment. And burnout will lead us to do that to make decisions that don't make sense, but because we're in so much pain. When you're in pain, you don't think straight. And I want to show you a character from Scripture that experienced this exact thing. In 1 Kings 19, we have the story of Elijah. And he went through a burnout. He went through a breakdown. And he was on the edge of insanity. 1 Kings 19, we're going to start in chapter 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Let me give you a little background on all those characters. Ahab and Jezebel were the king and queen, and they were evil. They led the nation down the wrong path. They led the nation to worship Baal. Now Elijah had been preaching against this direction. He had been preaching against their sin, preaching against their evil. And he finally challenged them to a showdown. And they come to the 
mountain. They're going to have this showdown where the prophets of Baal can pray for God, their God to send fire down. And then Elijah's going to pray for his God to send fire down. He says, whoever is the real God will show himself and that's who will worship. So the prophets of Baal pray and scream and dance and sing for hours and nothing happens. Then Elijah builds up his altar, pours water all over it, prays a simple prayer of about 70 words, and fire falls from heaven and burns up the sacrifice and the altar. Because people are convinced this is the one true God, they turn on the prophets of Baal and kill them. Ahab runs back and he tells Jezebel everything that's happened, that they have lost at the showdown, that all of their prophets of Baal have been destroyed, and Jezebel is furious. And so when Ahab tells Jezebel what's happened, she's not happy. Verse 2, Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth unto Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And what Elijah just said there is, God, kill me. Take my life, God. I don't want to live any longer. And what we see Elijah doing right before this is exactly what many people do when they're experiencing this. He isolates himself. He runs away. He leaves his servant in the city. He goes into the middle of the wilderness. He doesn't have provisions. He finds a tree to sleep under, and he's like, God, just kill me. I don't have anyone. I don't have anything. I'm over it. He's just ready to end it all. And there's a little bit of a hint here that tells us why Elijah was feeling the way that he was. He says, I'm not any better than my ancestors or my fathers. What Elijah wanted for Israel was that they would turn from Baal and worship the Lord. That's what he had preached about. That's what he had prayed for. That's what he was desperate for. That's what his ancestors, those that went before him, those that were the prophets before him, what they had preached for, and they had not been able to accomplish it. And when fire falls from heaven on the sacrifice, Elijah says, this is it. God's people are finally going to turn to him. There's finally going to be a change. There's finally going to be a difference. This is the moment that we're finally going to accomplish what it is that we've been trying to accomplish. And the very next day, Elijah gets this message from Jezebel that she's going to kill him. And Elijah says, what does it matter? What's the difference? Doesn't matter how great things get. Doesn't matter how much work we do. Doesn't matter how much we accomplish. It's never going to change. It's just going to be like it always was. And if you find yourself feeling, it's it's always going to be like this. It's never going to change. She's never going to change. He's never going to change. This is always going to be this way. Then we are close to burning out. And when Elijah felt like it didn't matter what he did that there was no changing the way things are. He was on the verge of breaking down. Verse 5 tells us, And as he slept under the juniper tree, behold, an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. Elijah says, God, just take my life. And God sends an angel 
Who does what for him? Who tells him he's crazy? No. Who argues with him? No. The angel does for Elijah what you would do for your toddler if they're being cranky. You give him something to eat and make him take a nap. He says, Elijah, eat this. Go back to sleep. And then he wakes him up and he feeds him again. He's meeting his basic human needs. And he knew that before Elijah was ready to talk, before Elijah was ready to realize what was really going on here, he needed to eat something and he needed to take a nap. Can I just tell you that that one of the best things you can do for your spirituality is take a nap to get some rest. I mean, there, there's a reason that God set aside a day of rest. He says, Elijah, take a nap. Eat a snack, right? So you have my permission. The next time you're feeling on the brink, take a nap and eat a snack, all right? That's where he starts with Elijah. Then the, the angel tells Elijah, you need to eat because the journey is too great. Now think about this. What did Elijah say to God? Take my life. I don't want to live anymore. But then the angel says, listen, you need to eat because the journey ahead is too great for you. When Elijah felt like everything was meaningless, everything was broken, that nothing could ever, he just wanted to end his life. When we're just over and we want to quit like Elijah is, God sees what is ahead and what we really need for the journey. He knew what Elijah needed and he was already looking ahead. And it may be that right now in the midst of your pain and in your suffering and while you're burnt out, it may be that you can't see around the corner and you can't see what next week is, but God does. And he knows what it is that you need. And he will provide it. He didn't tell Elijah, go get some food. He says, no, here, eat this. Because the journey is too great for you. So God leads Elijah to a mountain, puts him in a cave, gives him a place where he can hide And Elijah is hiding there in the cave, and God comes and speaks to him. He says, Elijah, what are you doing? What's going on? Come up here to the edge of the cave. Pick up reading with me in verse 11. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. God says, Elijah, I want to show you something. Come here to the edge of the cave. Elijah comes to the mouth of the cave, and there is a wind that is so strong that it breaks the rocks up. Now, this week I uh, conducted a funeral in Oakland City, And so I drove through Oakland City, and I saw some of the damage that the wind last week had done. And I saw this gazebo that had been just toppled over. And I thought, man, that that is a strong wind. It just flipped that over. What Elijah sees is not wind that can flip over a gazebo. Elijah sees a wind that can break down the mountain. This is a powerful and strong wind. And then after that, he sees an earthquake, and then he sees fire, And God is not appearing to Elijah in all of it. He is showing him just how powerful he is. He's showing him just how majestic and infant and eternal he is. But it is then, after he has seen all of that, that God speaks to Elijah in a still, small voice. And he says, Elijah, Elijah. And before I get to what the Lord says to Elijah, I I want you to see that Elijah responds to the Lord. 
God says in a still, small voice, Elijah, what's going on? And Elijah says, God, I have done all that you asked me to do. I have preached the messages that you gave me. I have stood for righteousness. I have stood against King Ahab and King Jezebel. I have led the people away from the prophet Baal, but nobody stands with me. He says, I am all alone. Now, God doesn't respond in verse 15 by telling him that he's crazy, but he's wrong. We find out later that Elijah isn't all alone, but there are 7,000 others that are right there next to him. Here's what I want you to see. What Elijah was feeling in that moment is the same lie, the same experience that we often feel when we're struggling. I'm all alone. Nobody cares. I'm all by myself. Nobody cares what it is that I'm facing. Nobody else is helping. Nobody else is trying. It's just me. Nobody else cares. Can I tell you that that, that's the lie that evil wants to tell me? When it wants to discourage me? Nobody else cares. Nobody else is trying. Nobody else sees what it is that we're trying to do here at our church. Nobody else understands what it is that we're facing. Nobody else sees what the brokenness in our community is and how needy it is. Nobody else sees. And that's a lie. Because all around me, there are people that are just as passionate, but evil wants me to think that I'm all alone. Elijah was, he was not alone. He was not alone. And friend, I want you to know you are not alone. You're not, you're not in this on your own. And so God first speaks to Elijah in a still, small voice and calls him by name because he wants Elijah to know you're not alone, Elijah. I am here with you. I'm not just the God that is the powerful wind and the powerful earthquake and the powerful fire. I am the God that speaks to you in a still, small voice and calls you by name. Can I tell you, that's what the Bible is all about. It's all about the God who is powerful and majestic, the God who created the universe, the God who is the author of the mountains and the seas, the God of the wind who can break down the mountains and sweep away the seas. He is that God, but Scripture is all about Him speaking to us and calling us by name. And Jesus' life was all about that too. The Bible tells us that there's this one occasion where Jesus is in the boat with His disciples and they're in the midst of a big storm and Jesus is asleep, and they have to go and shake Jesus to wake him up, and he stands up and he says, peace, be still. He tells the wind and the waves to knock it off, and they do. I can't get a class of toddlers to be quiet, but Jesus told the wind and the waves to be still and to calm. And this same Jesus then looks at the disciples and he calls them by name. And friend, whatever it is that you're facing and whatever it is that you're in the midst of and whatever mountain-breaking wind and fire and earth-rattling forces are out there waiting for you when you walk out of these doors, I want you to know that God is speaking to you in a still, small voice and calling you by name. And that when you walk into your factory on Monday, when you walk into your office complex on Monday, even when you're facing those people that are evil, that are out to seek you, seek to do you harm, to wreck you, to ruin you, that Jesus is speaking to you in a still, small voice. And he's calling you by name. That's what Jesus' life was about. It's what his death was about. It's what his resurrection was about. It was coming to make it possible for us to have a relationship with him. That's what all of Scripture has been about, showing us that God is mighty and powerful terrible and righteous, holy, but also loving. And he knows us. When Elijah calls out to God, and he's broke down, God doesn't say, what's your name again? Elijah. All right, let me see. 
Okay, yeah, here's your file. What's going on, Elijah? What's wrong today? No, he knows everything that's happening. He knows his struggle. He knows what he's facing. He knows what he needs. He knows that he needs to eat something and take a nap. He knows exactly what it is that he's facing. He's like a a father or a mother with their little child that knows, yep, it's nap time. This is what he needs. And he speaks to Elijah in a still, small voice. And friend, I know that when the, the wind and the fire and the earthquake is going, that it can be hard to hear the Lord. But if you'll listen, he is calling your name in a still, small voice. But I want you to see what God says to Elijah in verse 15. Elijah says, I'm all alone. I'm all by myself. And God responds, and he doesn't say, you're crazy. Or what are you talking about? He says, go. Go. God tells Elijah of the work that is ahead. He took care of Elijah. He encouraged him. He would tell him that he wasn't alone. And he would keep pointing Elijah back to his mission and his calling. God doesn't say, you know what, Elijah, you're right. It's it's been kind of rough on you. We're going to add some more PTO days into your schedule, and we're going to give you more personal time. So if you're just struggling, you can take a day off. No, he says, go. Go. You see, here's what most of us think. Most of us think that the reason we're struggling is we don't have enough balance in our lives. That if we just had more balance, if we could just balance more of our work life and our home life, if we could balance more of our extracurricular activities with the things that we're trying to do at church, if we could just balance it all, then we'd be, we'd be happy. Frank, can I tell you something that's going to sound counterintuitive to you? Forget about balance. Forget about balance. The idea of balance became popular when we started filling our lives with so much stuff that it couldn't all fit. And we started trying to find a way that we could balance all of these things that we can't hold. How we can juggle all of these things that there is not enough time for, that there's not enough energy for. And when we say, I've got to balance, I've got to balance, what we're saying is, I'm going to figure out a way to make all of this fit. I'm going to find a way to make all of this a part of my life. And you cannot do it. Forget balance and embrace your passion, and your calling. God has called you to do something. He's called you to be something. He's called you to make a difference. Embrace that and let the other things fall to the wayside. God had Jezebel's number. God was going to take care of Jezebel. You, you ought to go and read about the way that she meets her demise. She was an awful, wicked woman, and God was going to take care of that. That wasn't Elijah's problem. God was going to handle that. And typically, when we find ourselves worried and overcome and overwhelmed, it's because we're worrying about stuff that's not in our lane, that God hasn't called us to deal with or to mess with, that He's going to handle. Let Him handle that. We don't have to balance that. He's called us to do something. We need to focus on that. You know what I found out in my life? That nobody calls me on Thursday at 6 p.m. and says, Hey, Pastor Daniel, I just want to make sure that you were studying for Sunday. Nobody calls me Friday at 3 a.m., he says, hey, Pastor, I just want to make sure that this week you're spending time in prayer so you're ready to preach to us. And nobody sends me a Facebook message at Saturday at 1 p.m. to make sure that I am being faithful to the mission that God called me to. But they will call me with other things that they think should be important to me. So what are you talking about? This is what you experience at work. Nobody calls you on Thursday night at 6 p.m. and says, hey, I want to make sure you're having dinner with your family. 
Nobody texts you at 2 a.m. and says, hey, I want to make sure that you're taking time for yourself. But they'll call you and say, hey, we need that document, like right now, because we got this meeting later, and I was supposed to get it, but I didn't. So can you log into your email and send it to me? Hey, this thing is broken down, and we need you, like right now, to get out of bed and go fix this thing, because we need to be able to do whatever system. And they won't call you to make sure that you're doing the things God has called you to do. But they'll call you to fix their problems, deal with their issues. They'll, they'll call you to focus on something else. And Elijah's problem here is that he's worrying about something that's not, not what he's called to. And so God says, Elijah, this is what you're called to. Get back to this. Rest, eat, recuperate, and let's get back to the mission. So forget about balance. Because all balance is, is a way for us to figure out how we're going to coach all 17 t-ball teams. How we're going to do all of these things that we just absolutely have to fit into our lives. And it will not work. Forget balance. Embrace passion and calling. God has called you to do something. He's called you to be a spouse to your spouse. He's called you to be a parent to your child. He's called you to provide for your family. He's called you to make a difference. What has He called you to? Embrace that and pursue it with passion and let the rest of it fall to the wayside. Our problem is that we allow fear and insecurity to drive us. And Elijah was afraid of Jezebel. He was afraid she was going to get him. God was going to take care of her. Elijah didn't need to worry about Jezebel. Well, what did she say? I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. Did it happen? No. How many idle threats do you get every week? Hey, if we don't fix this, the whole thing's going to come crashing down. I mean, it's amazing, right? At your work, every week there is something that's going to cause the world to stop spinning on its axis. Right? And then it doesn't happen. Life just continues on. Focus on what it is that God has called you to do. The problem is that our gift and our calling are not the priority in our lives. And we don't use them. And we get used up. You know what would happen if I just spent my time chasing after what everybody else thinks I should be doing? I would show up on Sunday and I'd be like, hey, so what do you guys think would be a good passage to talk about? What's a passage that really spoke to your heart this week? I would not be ready to do the most important thing that God has called me to do. And for most of us, we're allowing our fear and our insecurity. I hope, well, I just, I want everybody to like me. Can I tell you that I think there's only one job in the world where everybody likes you, and that's the ice cream man. But I'm sure even the ice cream man has stress. I don't know what it is, but... I mean, you can be the pastor, and you're not going to make everybody happy. You can be in your role at your job, you're not going to make everybody happy. What happens is we, we get worried about making everybody else happy and spinning all these plates and trying to fit all these things in our schedule. If we'll focus on making him happy, going where he tells us to go, all the rest of that stuff takes care of itself. So your options are make your calling, your God-given purpose, your priority, or become an ice cream salesman. One of those two. Give me one. The very next verses in 1 Kings 19 tell us that Elisha, God has met with him. He's given him these marching orders. And verse 19 tells us, So he departed thence and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. If you don't know the backstory between Elijah and Elisha, two guys in the Bible that their names sound... Extremely familiar, extremely similar, and they work together. 
And Elisha would actually carry on the ministry of Elijah. He would pick up the mantle. He would carry it on into the next generation. He would actually do, we believe, twice as many miracles as Elijah. And many of the things that Elijah got started, Elisha got to see to completion. What happened for Elijah under the tree and in the cave is that God said, let me restore you unto myself. Then let me restore you unto others. Let me get you back in sync with me and then get you back in sync with others. You're not in this alone, Elijah. I am here with you. And there are others that I have called and sent to be with you as well. You know what happened to my car in Madisonville when that timing chain snapped? A timing chain, the purpose of a timing chain is to keep all of the cylinders and valves of your vehicle in time. Your, your vehicle, your internal combustion engine is basically just harnessing the power of many explosions, thousands of explosions. And when all of those cylinders are firing in the right order, all of those valves are opening at the right time, it harnesses the power of all of those little explosions to make your car go 75 miles per hour down the highway. Right, who are we kidding? 80, right? But when those explosions get out of sync and they're not firing at the right time, those explosions, instead of becoming power for your car, become power that destroy your car. And what happened when the timing chain snapped in my car, all of the pistons, all of the cylinders, all of the valves were firing out of time and it destroyed the engine. What God does for Elijah is he says, Elijah, we just got to get you back in sync with me and get you back in sync with others. And then that power will be back. That power will be back. Let's just get you back in sync with me. And I'm going to bring some others alongside of you. You're going to be firing on all cylinders again, Elijah. And it may be that right now that you feel broke down, burnt out, depressed. I want you to know that God doesn't just take the broken engines and toss them in the scrapyard like he did with mine. He fixes what's broken and he gets it back in sync. That was the reason that Jesus came so that we can get back in sync with the Lord and he can let us know we are not alone. We are not alone. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.